0: Back everybody to another episode of Overdue Rentals, the podcast where we talk about films that people have stopped talking about. We don't know why.
1: We're gonna find out. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Corporal Mike or, or Colonel Mike Reyes. I, I, I don't remember uh, Hannibal's rank, so I'm just you know I, I'm trying to do the, the cigar stick here, folks. But I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes.
0: And Hannibal, because we're joined today by Shando. Copley, the one and only Charlotte O'Copley, Copley, who's here to first talk about his new film, Ted K, where he's going to be, where he does, where he's going to be, where he does take on the role of the infamous Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, but we are talking about also his over, our overdue rental choice for today, The A-Team.
1: Ah, yes, that 2010 film adaptation directed by Joe Carnahan, and with a cast that is looking at this cast and where they were in their careers when they did this movie it's amazing but we'll talk about that uh, later on but you know just a quick note before we jump in if anybody wants to you know listen to more episodes of us don't forget to find us wherever you find wherever you listen to those wonderful podcasts you pull up for your commute stitcher apple spotify wherever
0: and you know i think this is going to be the first time we have an episode where i think we can say there's not a possibility of spoilers because look Granted, some people may not know about Ted Kaczynski if they're young or not. who knows, but it's a real life story. There's, oh, there's, yeah. there's no surprises there. And A-Team, you know, I don't think there's much, you know, we don't have to spoil anything this time around. I think we can get away without it. So don't worry about it. We still want you to watch everything. So if you haven't watched it yet, you can watch it after, but no spoilers this time. So now, Shalto Copley, please come on in.
1: Let's talk. Mr. Shalto Copley, thank you so much for joining us on Overdue Rentals.
2: Thanks, guys glad to be here
0: well we're thrilled to have you here especially you know look i don't i just want to jump right into this because there's so many things i have to ask but there's only so much so much time so i have to wonder over everything how did you come down on the accent for this because i was even afraid to look up to see if there were even videos or recordings figuring i would be on some watch list if i did right. so i'm wondering if you got to be able to create this on your own or you did have something you can fall back on
2: No, one of the first things I did after reading a manifesto, which got me interested to play the role, is I looked up, obviously, is there any footage of this guy? And the only thing I could find was the audio recording from an interview in prison. Mm. But it was very, very insightful to me as an actor. And I really could get a picture of his personality, and it was entirely different from anything I'd seen portrayed before. I was like this is not the image that the media have given me of this guy this is not even the image that previous versions of actors playing him have given me he he sounds completely different he sounds like a person you could sit down and have coffee with and chat to and it'd be interesting to listen to mm-hmm. he's he was kind of uh, uh nerdily funny at times you know obviously super smart and just interesting guy and confident and energetic I was like wow this is not what I was expecting from a lone wolf in the in the in the woods and I got the role by basically sort of imitating the general world and accent of, uh, and, and register and intensity of how he spoke was a key factor, I suppose.
1: Well, what's really interesting about Ted Gaczynski as a figure, and especially just watching a film, examining his life, you look at popular media, like the Terminator and stuff that, you know, you he probably, you know, was sort of influenced by that as well as just his intellect. But there's just these characters like Kyle Reese where you give them a fictional setting. They're the hero, but you take them out of that and put them in the more realistic world. They're more on the lines of, of Ted Kaczynski. Yes. Yeah, I think he, he
2: definitely... I, I went in not realizing, you know, thinking... Basically, I, I started thinking of him, I guess, as a villain, I suppose. And then by the end, which is probably the job of the actor in a way, being super sympathetic to his, to everything, you know, in a way that surprised me, let me put it that way.
0: He's, he's somebody that, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to kind of take away what he did in any way whatsoever, but I'm wondering if, like you said, you started off by reading the manifesto, and I'm mm. wondering if, if he was somebody who lived and just wrote that, even though that's kind of terrifying, maybe the way his mind was working, do you think he would have been a different like? Do you think it's a it's a different person if you separate
2: the two pieces? Well, if you if, are you are you talking about like if he, for example, had not resorted to violence and had tried to lead a political party or something? Exactly, yeah. So he actually references that. So in his in his ten thousand pages of writings, which are brutally honest and fascinating, and were the perfect sort of tools for an actor to get into a character's head, um, he speaks of considering either becoming a dictator and trying to overthrow society or going and just living in the wild, living out his days as much of a sort of hunter gatherer as he could. He was very inspired by hunter gatherer cultures, Native American Indians, that sort of thing. And um, there's, there's a very common, I mean, this is a tricky, you know, topic to look at, but there's a very common view at the moment in the public and in the media. It's like, Ted was right about most of what he was saying. You can see that with climate. You can see that when a movie like Don't Look Up comes and is as big as it is. Um, you know, There's this feeling of like, God, guys, we're doomed and we're stupid and we're letting this happen. Like, what the hell is wrong with us? And this is a guy who was saying exactly that. You're doomed and you're stupid and you're not, while you're fighting amongst yourselves with tribes and race and whatever else, the techno-industrial system is leading you to, to an iceberg. He actually has this, this parable that he calls Ship of Fools. But the, the common thread is the violence was wrong. You know, if he, if he just hadn't been violent, then Ted, we could accept Ted, you know, as a society. We could accept Ted if he hadn't killed those three people and made the rest of us shit ourselves and, you know, injured 17. And I, I had that view the whole way through. And then at some point, I found some one of his writings where he makes, he makes the intellectual point, which is very, I'm still trying to get my head around it, which is that the violence was the very point. Because he says the number one thing that the techno-industrial society needs to get you to do in order to get you to submit is that you must not be violent. Mm. It's the only thing it cannot control. Otherwise, it can control you completely. So he goes through a whole personal struggle because he was raised as a very non-violent person. And so it's actually an effort for him to vandalize even a, a logging machine in the beginning. He he actually like reprogram himself because he's so he's brought up in a good family, good middle class family, good values. He's got good manners in how he speaks, you know. Um, <laughs> and so he goes on this journey where he's like, "Look, this system." He 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 rationalizes and he says, "You're not going to get out of this without violence." And you even see people now in movies and whatever on both the right and left in American politics. Well, there's certain situations where maybe you need to be violent to make it. But you start to see that idea coming out now. You mm-hmm. see that. You know, Chicago 7 had that. You know, it's kind of like, well, there's a time where maybe you have to be able to put your body on the line kind of thing. Starting to just go like... And, and so it's, it's unpleasant. It's an unpleasant thing to, to realize that men and women and mostly men are still as violent as they are. And it's sitting mm-hmm. under the surface. It's right there just underneath the surface.
1: You know, those those lines of the ends justifying the means that continue to be blurred. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And as, as Ted says, you know, we've 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 sort of our modern society. It's, it's I mean, when we say modern. It's literally since after the Second World War. Prior to that, if I look at my father and my father's and I look at the male ancestry line, literally from my father backwards, the normal position of a man was like there was at least a 50 percent chance you were going to go to war, either in attack or defense. In almost any culture in any period in history, that is insane. If you, if you go and actually look at it, you know, that was a normal thing. It's like, well, the war might happen, son, you know, get ready. Part of what we do as men is we go kill other men. And it's like, really? That, that is so, far, that's so foreign to me right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we kill other men. We don't do that. You know, it's like, you know, 60 years old, 70 years old, that idea. of like, no, no, you, you, you're not going to do that. You know, where, where most people in society agree, like we don't do that anymore, guys. We just don't do this, you know. Yeah. But then you start to see when things, when you can't solve problems with dialogue, then the violence starts to come back up, and it's like, oh, actually, this is how we solve our problems when everything else fails, and this is why we still have armies and the police and 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 you know. So it was a, it was a big journey for me, as you can tell. Well, <laughs> it's also
0: very interesting because. Nowadays, especially you know when when Ted was caught, you know the internet really wasn't you know it was in, in its infancy. So nowadays, where things can get online, it's all about you know don't post you know their 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 propaganda, don't post their messaging. But that's what got mm-hmm. him caught. And I'm wondering if there is a reason to maybe think now, maybe there are certain things we should investigate that we're not.
2: Well, I mean personally, I, I agree with you 100. I think the, the the worst thing you can do and I think society's all over the place doing this. If, you know, my experience of Ted, the worst thing you can do is say that somebody like this, or even say like a, like a, a Muslim terrorist that bombs, you know, just they crazy people with crazy ideas. You don't want to hear what they have to say. We, we put them in jail and they're not coming up. It's like, dude, you should probably find out why they're upset. What are they upset about? Like, let's have a conversation in the society. Why are these people upset? What is America doing in the Middle East? Whatever the topic is, you know what I mean? what is your grievance exactly can i address your grievance it's like if you're willing to go die for something like like let me hear what you have to say or kill for it or both because most of us let's be honest are not you know most of us living in society like i'm not gonna go die for that i want my cappuccino and my whatever now a guy comes along he's like no i will i will die for that and i will kill you for that it's like well well maybe we should just hear what he has to say you know maybe because otherwise maybe one day he does come and kill us uh, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, dude, I'll listen, like sit and tell me, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It just seems, it seems like you, you can't push the stuff away. The more you push it underground, yeah, it's going to explode in your face kind of feeling. I mean, that's certainly what seems to be happening. And of course, there's the issue of the climate environment, which Ted was, you know, on about in the seventies, like, which we now all realizing like, Oh, we're in real trouble. And everyone's like, Oh yeah, we're in real trouble. You know, what are we going to do? It's like, I guess nothing we just keep buying those amazon boxes and
1: yeah hooray you know <laughs> what i mean <laughs> no it's it, again it's just it's cognitive dissonance between yeah. sort of what we're brought up in to what we're brought up to believe society is and how we are shaped into believing yes. and that's a real, it's a real interesting point to pivot to the other film that we're going to be discussing today, uh, the 2010 adaptation of The A-Team, which uh, it, you you could probably argue from the time and place it came from that it's definitely has its own sort of aspects tied into that, but I, I don't know. I prefer to think that it's just a lot of fun. And you are, you were the new howling mad Murdoch in the film, and by the way, I. I just love how you go all out with stuff like even just as simple as something nuanced with, with Ted K or mm-hmm. something like a team or Elysium, you just, you go all out. Uh, yeah. What was your preparation like for this one?
2: For the A team? Yeah. For the A team. I, um, I mean, I grew up with it being my favorite show and, and howling mad Murdoch being my favorite character. So that was really my preparation. I mean, that, the idea of doing voices and characters. And I actually, at the time, when I came onto that movie, um, they were looking for, originally the studio had wanted to sort of modernize all the characters and do like a cool, crazy Murdoch, hmm. which would mean that he wouldn't do voices, for example, accents. There was no accent changes. He was more just like a cool kind of, you know, Woody Harrelson, crazy type of guy who's, who's, who's got a bit of an edge, but, but is not actually as kooky as Murdoch was. And I was making the argument and Joe Conahan, the director, believed me where where I was saying, listen, the other three characters have dated. But if you watch that show now, Murdoch, because of the type of performance it is, doesn't date at all. There's a playfulness. There's a zany, Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, you know, type type of energy in that character. And so we can play him the same way. I can play him the same way as Dwight Schultz did which the other characters can't do. Mm. Um, and, that was my, and that was my approach. And, and my, my, my proudest moment probably was Dwight Schultz came to the set and I showed him some of the tests that I'd shot. I, I improved a whole bunch of scenes in my hotel room to get the movie. I was promoting District 9 at the time and I shot a bunch of improvised scenes where I just made up stuff in the hotel. And, uh, and I showed them to Dwight. And he just, he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes at the end. And he just gave me a hug and he said, you are Murdoch. And then he posted on his social Murdoch, uh, social media, Murdoch is dead, long live Murdoch. You know, which was very, very cool of him. And I, uh, you know, I, I was very grateful.
0: Well, I, what I also think is great about the performances. Again, you're just talking about being wacky, being fun, being out there. But at least to me, it felt like, especially like I'm, I'm rewatching it. And, uh, and, you know, when, when, you, when you guys first meet and Hannibal's telling you he needs you, and you kind of you kind of calm down. You can see there's almost like this—not pain, but there—you can see the more seriousness behind maybe his dysfunction for like yes. for like a brief second. And I'm wondering how much you kind of put into like considering that backstory.
2: Well, again, it was just it was just the inspiration from what Dwight did, you know. And I made it a little more serious um, in that in that you know the film tonally was obviously a little more serious, quite a lot more serious than than the original tone of the of TV the show. Um, and so I just, I, and Murdoch was always the heart of the TV show for me. Murdoch and BA together were the heart. And so myself and Rampage Jackson, we had a great chemistry and great rapport. And, um, so I think we were able to bring that to the, the the movie as well.
1: That that's another thing that, uh, any A-team needs to survive on is just insane chemistry. And just that, that opening, like you're getting like, A Bond pre-sequence, like basically a Bond cold open, uh, Mm -hmm. exposition, team building, all in this like, I want to say 10, 20 minute sequence. And this movie just kind of grabs you and it's like, okay you're either with me or you're not. Yeah. Yeah, I was
2: I was actually having dinner with Joe Conahan, the director, the other day. And we were talking about how people still, years later, the two movies that I get asked about all the time, District Mm -hmm. 9 and the 18. Um, and it was weird that Fox didn't want to do a sequel for that movie because just how beloved it is. And I think, to be honest, I think they just might have must have overspent somewhere. They spent a hell of a lot on the marketing. We had we had an incredible cast. Of course, Liam and Bradley went on to go stratospheric. So the reason to not do it must have been pretty serious. But I, it, you know, it didn't lose money. So it was it was like it was definitely something that I think especially in in a second version of it once it found its feet. Because for me personally, as a fan of the show, I I actually just, what I didn't like about that was I didn't want to see the origin story, which I feel personally, I feel like that story is a bit too complicated. I just wanted to see those four guys help someone in Los Angeles, like what used to happen in the show. And I think if we'd gotten to that point, with like a simple plot, it's like an Ocean's Eleven kind of twist at the end, you know, I think that would have been the money. And I think that's where we would have gone. In the second, in the, in a the second series, and because we had such chemistry as well, it was one of those things I was talking to Joe about. There was so much happening in the first one that the scenes have to move really quickly. You don't actually get to see. I mean, just those four guys, just us sitting around a table talking for two and a half minutes would hold an audience. We had amazing chemistry, but the pace of that movie just it picks you up. It's got to do so much plot wise, you know. And so that was, the, and you can feel it there, you know, as you watch the movie, but. I can assure you from being in it, it was definitely there as in like, you could have slowed it down and really engaged with the audience um, and, and, and had them for sure. You know, it was a great chemistry.
0: But for as much as District 9 was such a massive hit and popular, this was just the immediate move over into like the bigger part of the, you know, people in the Midwest who don't really go to anything but blockbusters are like, finally gonna mm. see me. Looking back on it now, Just in general, like that—that feeling of jump, making that jump from like being being doing something that I love, doing something that's great, and then just like all of a sudden being in like the public eye.
2: Yeah, I think I think that was a big change. And and once you once once you you do something like a team, I mean District Nine, then also traveled tremendously. But a team instantly was sort of everywhere in the world. Which was quite surreal, and you're going on a publicity tour, and everywhere you go, it's already there. People know you're coming. It was mm-hmm. a very strange experience, and I think, yeah, you're right. It was a kind of a watershed moment in my life of of realizing there was sort of pivotal moment where you're like, okay, my life isn't quite the same anymore. My perception of it, anyway, and my career, you know, as well. Like it's sort of it's, you, you. It's very. It's a real privilege to experience something like that a real privilege.
1: Well, especially when it's a one-two punch of, you know, A-Team is this established universal brand. And then you've got District 9, which was just this meteoric success out of nowhere. Like I still remember just the beautiful way they teased that movie with all of like the Comic-Con signage where it's like only humans allowed. And it's like, wait, what, what is all this? And then sitting there opening night and just being blown away yeah i went to so I I a midnight it, screening
0: for that one yeah
1: I, I think it was like a midnight screening like back when they still did midnight screenings and it wasn't you know seven right. o'clock right. and i was just knocked on the floor and now years later uh, district 10 is in development uh i was wondering if you had any sort of updates on where that's going or if it's still going Yeah, no, it's
2: still going uh i think we're getting closer you know i hope we're getting closer it is just as you're talking looking back it's It's strange to me, you know, that those first two movies that there weren't sequels to either of them, you know, which is sort of like, it it was a strange series of events. You know, it's a strange business. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and it's, it's very unpredictable, but to, to be able to go back to District 10 would be amazing. I was ready to do it, you know, from once we finished District 9. I think Neil's taken his time to get round to it and sort of been on and off and, deals have sort of come together then fallen apart and, you know, trying okay. to work out what it's going to be about. And I think now more than ever, you know, there's, there's stuff to deal with or stuff to say. So hopefully we get to do it.
0: I mean, I'm never going to say you're going to hinge your decisions based on rumors and hearsay, whether it's, you know, from straight from Neil, or if something you see in the news, you don't hear first, but is there a part of you that like, once you hear about a certain project, like once the, you know, the possibility of, of, of Neil's alien was a thing, just like, maybe I should just hold back a second because I want to do that and I got to make sure I'm open for that.
2: No, no. You just got to go with what commits, you know, that's very much how I do it. It's, this is on the table now. If you know something's in the pipeline, like right now, district nine is close enough district 10, you know, that I'll check with Neil if I was going to go away for four months. I'd be like, dude, I'm going, Is this cool. Where are we? What's happening? You know,
1: <laughs> well, again, so it- that
2: definitely means it's closer than, than it's been, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, oh and yet i i still think back to like halo or robocop returns where it's like oh it was it was right there in alien especially they had all the concept art laid out crazy
2: yeah that one they should have done that that one was was sad that that didn't happen
1: you know but sort of pivoting back to both well mostly a team like district nine this applies to but like since we're focused on a team here i want to throw it to that this was really sort of the the cusp of studio sort of shifting over to you know more marvel movies like Iron Man 2 was the the marvel movie of the moment but this was probably like the last tent po- the last era that sort of these unique sort of movies could come about i mean even though A-Team a team is a a tv adaptation it was like mission impossible where it just made it new and fun again
2: i know what you mean and 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 also you know frankly it was one of the last times where you would do those huge publicity tours but they take the whole cast everywhere in the world. You know, they spend millions and millions of dollars putting you up in, like, the biggest suites at the most expensive hotels just so you can go and do interviews there and meet the press there, you know. And they've increasingly, literally, from that movie on, it just had to be a Marvel movie or it had to be, and they just, they do that less and less and less. It's like, and now it's going to be like, oh, hey, we just do everything on Zoom you know
1: <laughs> and you used to be able to ride down in tanks but now it's like oh well we'll do like a, a video yeah jam.
2: man i mean that that premiere was unbelievable i mean that's one of the highlights of my career you know to drive down hollywood boulevard in a tank was like it was you know when films were still events which <laughs> would it, it really it, it really has to you know the streaming environment is different yeah yeah
0: you know, to, to wrap it back around though, to, to leave off on Ted um, you know, i I'm, I'm very interested in this idea usually where, look, Ted's a real person, whether or not you're building your own character out of that, it's gonna be different than Murdoch. But since there is that idea of an unhinged personality, are there pieces that you can pull from an older performance and kind of use and, and, and morph into this new performance?
2: No, I don't think so. I think it's just drawing on parts of yourself, I guess. And so the, the commonalities would be things that you draw on as an actor that are sort of within you. Um, I, I I think it's been an interesting journey learning what I do or don't have in me. Mm. I recently, you know, I've got a daughter and I recently got an offer for a lead in a film where it was like, and the guy's like beating his son and his child, you know, his kid again, the preoccupation of violence in Hollywood, hello, you know? And I was just like, nah, I don't have that in me. Hmm. I physically, mentally, emotionally, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pretend. And I think it, it wasn't just having a daughter that changed that. I think it's never come across my, my, you know, my desk before the, the thing of like, so you're going to have a kid and then you're going to play this guy. And then he fucks up his kid. And I'm just like, yeah, no, that's where I'm at. Like, even fighting with women was always uncomfortable for me. You know, I don't enjoy scenes where I'm like beating up women. It's just fundamentally just something in me is just really uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh but yeah, I actually got to the thing where I'm like, with a kid, it's like, nah, no, nah, I wouldn't do it. it. Doesn't matter how much money you offer me. It's like I'm not gonna be like I'm supposed to be this loving father, and then I'm you know terrorizing and beating my child. I was just like, nah, yeah. And I wouldn't have known that until I faced it. You know, I might've thought, yeah, I could do anything. I'll play anything, you know, I'll play anybody.
1: Well, see, that's the interesting thing about the acting profession. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't consider is, yeah, there's the human component. And you could read a story where someone says, you know, Will Smith turned down Django Unchained. He turned down the lead and anybody could read that and think, oh, he's just doing that because, you know he'd rather play something safer. But then he goes and explains something, he explained it and he's like, look, I don't wanna make a movie about revenge and slavery. Like if it's a movie about love,
2: yeah.
1: he, he could make a movie about slavery and that's what he's doing now with emancipation. And it's but, just, where are those limits as a person where you have to mm-hmm. say, is it worth it? Can I do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there've been a few,
2: you know, and there are a few, if I look back in my career, a few things where I'm kind of like, I certainly wish that I could do more roles that didn't have as much darkness in them. Let me just say that. I, I definitely, you know, um, would prefer to not do those roles. And, and I, and I, uh, you know, but you've got to work. It's one of those things.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. We love seeing you no matter what the role, of course. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you guys. Thanks for having me on.
1: Have a good Enjoy. one. Stay well.
2: Bye.
1: Charlotte Coakley, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, wow, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just still in awe of this show and the guests that we have.
0: you know, it's he, he, he's one of these people that no matter what he does, I'm just 100% invested in it. Like you don't, ha- I don't have to sit there and go like I'm waiting to see first before I know it's like, I just know I'm gonna get something great out of him.
1: Oh no, without a doubt. I mean that, like I was, I, I do not gush about district nine just because, Oh, it's such a wonderful, you know, childhood memory, like, well, not childhood, but wonderful memory of the past. Like it is a wonderful memory of the past, but it's also a fantastic movie. No. Oh, it's, it's an
0: amazing movie. And. I think uh, we also
1: have that on the list too.
0: You can't say, well, that's the thing. I don't know. I, I have a feeling so many people are still so high on it and still talk about it plenty, but. Hey, if you don't think, if you think District 9 still needs more light sh- shown on it, make sure to email us over to rentals at gmail.com.
1: We'll talk oh, yes, about please. it. We may have to start throwing some of these questionable cases to the public and just say, it like, kind of like the veto system we were coming up with.
2: It's well, like, when, okay.
1: When Patreon goes live. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's and there's just, there's some movies that you might have even been able to make a case for whether the A-Team was an overdue rental or not. Because, It. I mean, looking at the stats, it was about 100 to 110 million budget, and it makes 177.
0: I'll tell you why I think it's an overdue rental choice. Ooh. Because while it does have a massive fan base that have been dying for sequels, and it made its money back, even though it didn't make tons of money back, and it took a while to get there, and it was worldwide gross after home video and all that other fun stuff.
1: It's Hollywood accounting. It's not
0: that film. That again, when you go on, you see people reacting to movies on YouTube, doing their top 10 list stuff on YouTube, it never comes up. And that's why I think it fits into the overdue rentals case. But I will say we're going to get to that, but I do want to talk a bit a little about Ted K first. Well, obviously
1: that's that's not only good housekeeping, but this is a movie that we do need to talk about.
0: Well, it's so like, there's so many things, so many levels I want to talk to, talk about it on. I don't even know where to start, but I want to go back to just kind of what we were saying about, because you know, and I wish we could have talked about it longer because I, I do wonder, like for us as Americans and yeah. being know, yeah, being alive and well, you know well into like the idea of, of you know nightly news and what we can see, it was su- it was such a big thing, but you know, worldwide, and for younger generations, because they they do mention in the film, you know about you know him, maybe you know, like they wanted to I think the authorities wanted to to chalk it up to him being felt like he was uh, overshadowed by Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombing. And I wonder how many young generations actually, like. if I were to say Oklahoma City bombing or Timothy McVeigh or Ted Kaczynski, do they know what I'm talking about?
1: No, exactly. Like That was one of the things that sort of, that definitely sparked in my mind because you look at, you sort of look at culture now and you have to wonder, is it happening more because it's reported more? Because that's always sort of been like the rationale where like, you know, we you you find some news outlets that don't release names of perpetrators anymore, where it's just like, don't give them oxygen. Yeah. And meanwhile, you go back and both Timothy McVeigh and Ted Kaczynski were just this huge news event. And, you know, keep in mind, this was uh, years, I mean, like years before. 9-11 ever happened and maybe that was one of the turning points but
0: I mean, he was he was caught after the initial garage bombing at least the world trade center but that again was while big di- totally different
1: no yeah because that was technically ca- it It didn't count as as largely as yeah. what would have been but yeah it's just it is really interesting especially because it's just one of those things that cinema likes to do we really love to examine our history be it through some sort of commentary or some sort of fictionalized accounting like Inglorious Bastards, or you go and look at something like 1917 or uh, the scores of war movies, where it's just the reality of the situation, but it's examined through the lens of cinema.
0: And it's also strange too, because you know he I don't he- know
1: if I lost my point through there. I'm sorry.
0: No, no, no. It's good. But I, I find it interesting though, because Char- I mean Charlotte did bring it up and it's kind of like where it was going with things and Again, I'm never going to say whether or not if I separated personally, you know, the bombings from the manifesto or like that. would I think this, I, I still wouldn't see this person as, uh, even though he was, we know, an intellectual. Um, I would you still. you like a hero. Yeah. I, I, well, i never would, and I, but I would also never think of this person as somebody who's on, you know, a uh, normal thinking level as far as sanity goes. But with that being said, if people have never read it if people only know very little they would say oh yeah he's an eco warrior and that's 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 what it was and it's so strange he's got he's got this weird level you know in the zeitgeist that doesn't exist i think with you know most of these other you know unfortunate souls out there
1: yeah it well it's it's really strange when you can look at culture and say you know culture changes both in the mores that it reflects but also in the monsters and the criminals that it inspires
0: it's also it also should be in fact you know like people who watch it will see it you know but it's also one of these things where let's take apart both those things let's let's take the bombings and take the manifesto and stuff and put it to the side too he also was apparently a big uh chauvinist uh misogynist you know uh you know, uh, chess beater, you know, if you want to put it that way.
1: Yeah, and you know, very technophobic, of course, and oh yeah, all of that. I I I really I should have asked Charlotte when we had him on if he was like if he memorized just certain messages that he had to write out, or if it was like he learned the code because, mm. or just have been another layer where, you know, you you have to look at pieces of this, and sometimes you you just have to wonder like how. Deep did he go? How much did he have to decompress after all this?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of those things. It's 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 gonna come with everybody. Um, but he seems to definitely be a person that knows how to separate everything. Um yeah. doesn't mean it won't stay with him, but you know, he's not gonna be somebody who's gonna bog bogged down later on in life by, you know, delving too deep in, into Tagazinski. You know, but this movie, man, is like I I remember just like the minute it opened, and I'm just watching basically people having fun snowmobiling, but with this tense music, and I'm just like, oh my God, I, I automatically feel hor- horrific. Like oh, what's yeah. happening right now.
1: No, that's, that was just a wonderful like place setting for, for what's gonna happen. And then all of a sudden, just, you know, okay, we're quiet again, These was- are happening. And then just
0: bam. Yeah, the fact that that's how he enters the house, just automatically I'm like, oh my God.
1: And especially cause you're looking right at a window and you're thinking, okay, so, all right, we're going to have an entry. It's just going to, he's going to break through the window because we know he doesn't have, obviously the man has no, had no sense of property damage and, you know, withholding, but just slamming through that wall. It's like that, that right there is just a character and personal statement. It's like, not the easy way, always the hard way, always the bigger statement. Breaking a window, someone's like, oh no, we've been robbed. Breaking a wall? that's someone that means business.
0: That's just insanity. It was just utter insanity. And just the whole movie, I just felt, I felt so uneasy. Again, in in the best possible way, because that's, that's what they wanted me to feel. Well, yeah. It's just something that just makes you just so uncomfortable in ways, but not, you're accepting of it. You're like, okay, give it to me.
1: And now we're going to pivot over to the A-team because this is the perfect point to do that, apparently.
0: Well, I thought, you know what? I thought it was the best thing to talk about too, because like we've mentioned while we were talking to them, they're unhinged characters, but I think it's only right. Look, we, we've, we're not going to, you know, we've had, we had an episode before where we had two kind of downers of the film. I thought it'd be nice to lighten it up a little bit too, which I thought was maybe the right way to go. Um, oh, definitely.
1: Yeah. But at the same time, you know, the, the double downers can also work because some of the guests that we've had double downers with are fantastic. And, um, I don't know if I should name the one that I'm thinking of right now, or I should let people go to our back catalog and guess who, but, uh, it's I'm Siobhan Hogan. With,
0: uh, somebody who has three initials in their name. Oh, who are you thinking? Oh, I'm thinking of Tim Blake Nelson.
1: Oh, he's definitely one. I was thinking of, uh, Siobhan. Siobhan oh, Fallon. Yeah, but yeah. See, Fallon Hogan.
0: Yeah, but her personality just is going to uplift it the whole time, no matter what. That's where, that's where I, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I agree. But they're
1: both fantastic episodes. Go listen to them immediately when we're done with this one. And don't forget the Tim Roth one. Yeah,
0: don't forget all of them.
1: Please just go. Just, and listen all, you know, we're, we're, we're only at, what, 33 episodes? This will be 34 as you're listening to it. Thirty We're only at 34 episodes, folks, and you can listen to all of them. In order, if you really wanted to, or out of order if you're, you're dangerous like that, but you may not get the in-jokes. I mean, there's a certain point where blah gets introduced, and without taking that journey, <laughs> I don't know. You might just be howling mad Murdoch at that point.
0: Well that's a th- you look again with the A. we just we said it earlier about you know the gross and you know the hollywood numbers and all that other stuff and it does have a massive fandom but the critics were not fans um and and I personally also th- like I'm not saying this is a great movie I'm not saying this is a a four star even a three star movie but it's 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 a fun ride and there's a lot in there to be taken away with it and just just, just enjoy
1: yourself I don't know what star rating I would give it because it's just i i watched the movie but i like i I would really have to sort of think longer to give it a star rating i probably would put it somewhere uh, just eyeballing it maybe three and a half maybe four because i'm sorry this well maybe three and a half like around like again i need to really consider it but the point is i agree with the your assessment this is just fun this is it. Literally, you are part. You are like the 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 other member of the team at this when this movie begins because you're just being ripped out of your seat. And Liam Neeson is just like, look, you're either coming with me, kid, or you're not. But yeah, either way, yeah. welcome to the A team. You're either in. You're either in for the
0: ride or you're not. And it and it's something that it's another movie that does its job. It's throwing. It's like the, every movie does it. Like you can look at Harry Potter just like making references to the book, but it's only going to matter if people who read the book. And I find them very, they were a little stranger because they actually fit into the story, but we don't know about it. But this is a movie that throws in references that you don't necessarily have to know, but they're there for people who do know, and it's fine. And it's everywhere from cameos, uh, you know, to, to, to the van at the very beginning, you know, and it's like, ah. it's there. We don't have to worry about it. Let's just move on. We're not, we're not trying to literally pander only to one audience. So it's there, and we can get along and just have some fun.
1: Literally, the opening of this movie packs a lot of that fan service in there, right? Like the character intros, Alan Silvestri quoting the A-Team theme, and right to Liam Neeson's like, I love it when a plan comes together. And then you introduce that in the beginning. It comes back in like the big sequence where they're betrayed. And then at the end, you get another lovely spin on it. It's like, if you didn't know it by then... You, if you didn't know it before you came into this movie, you knew it by the end.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's also something where I, I found this interesting because every time th- we talked about this earlier before we even uh, had this recording made.
1: Yeah, we talked behind your backs, audience. But yeah, it's sorry, guys. Only business. Uh,
0: but that idea that you know Patrick Wilson ultimately ends up doing his like he's not chewing scenery kind of thing, but he's he's just having fun. But I almost forgot because rewatching it. It, it evolves because he doesn't play it serious as, as you don't know what's happening. And then as it opens up, he's just like, now I can get to, you know, be that, uh, Jason Patrick from the losers, uh, you know, kind of bad guy. And it just, it just works really well.
1: As a resident evil fan, the thought that ran through my mind, the moment he appears with those sunglasses, the aviator shades, West why West is West? this man not been cast as Albert Wesker? Because if you were going to do like a fantastic, really like, you're doing A-list Resident Evil, he is Wesker. Right down to the smart-ass attitude, the shades, and just everything. Like, that is the prototype for that character, but with, like, zombie abilities and, you know, immortality. But Yeah, that's a whole,
0: this, is, this is a whole other discussion. This is a whole other can of worms that we're going to open up. A-team! Right
1: I mean, again, as, as, as I had mentioned earlier and meant to sort of backtrack to, look at everyone in this cast and where they are at this point. Liam Neeson is coming off a taken, or he's just been reinvented as this action star. Bradley Cooper is just coming into prominence with the hangover. So he's like box office gold. Charlotte Copley is coming off a District 9. Again, box office gold. That is your wild card because he is a hot new thing. And he probably, I I would like to think he had like a whole bunch of consideration thrown his way for different things. Yeah. And then Quentin Rampage Jackson was a huge deal with, as an MMA fighter, and he like makes this big acting like splash with this movie. You had this great cast coming from all these different points, and they're just firing. And then Joe (laughs) Carnahan is not too far from Smoking Aces at this point, which is definitely on our list. And I oh, would like oh. to personally appeal to Joe Carnahan to come talk to us about smoking Aces.
0: I'm gonna get back to Joe Carnahan real quick before it's something, because I do want to say something, because I do wonder if there's part of the non-sequel being chalked up to Quentin Rampage Jackson, because he was also having a lot of legal troubles at the time with the kind of some mental issues that were going on. Um, his huh. performance probably was the weakest part of it to be honest with you. And I wonder if maybe it's like, they didn't want to recast they didn't want to think about it, so they just they just moved on.
1: They put it on the money. They, even Joe Carnahan himself, who is not shy to talk about what's going on. Like back in 2014, he's like, I love that you guys have love for this. The money's not there. It's not happening.
0: Look, going back to Joe Carnahan now though, because I know you, 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 you want to smoke an aces, but my and Joe stretch,
1: Han- and stretch, because if we're going to talk Patrick Wilson no, and Joe no, Carnahan- No, no, no.
0: My Joe Carnahan film- got to be his first film. It's got to be NARC, man. That's NARC's a movie that people just have all of a sudden, you you look
1: like you don't even heard about it. I've heard of it, but I don't think it's his first film. Oh, it is? It's his first feature length, isn't it? Look it up. Um, I'm going to look it up right now. I'm looking it up too. And uh, folks, we're going to Pepsi challenge this because I'm I'm not sure if that's his first.
0: What would you think his first was?
1: I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't mind being wrong. Because at least it shows people that I'm human. Director. Okay, that was well, but well, yeah, he had blood, guts, bullets, and octane, but Narc, what, was, Narc, Narc well, okay, was the one it. that put
0: him on the map, man.
1: I stand corrected. Narc yeah. is the re- the first big, yeah, yeah was I, reason, I thought Narc was later, and I don't know why. And I remember, and I remember so
0: vividly, like the discussion was like, the discussion for certain people was either the whole movie or just that opening sequence of Narc was like the biggest thing to people. And Narc's, I think, Narc's a great movie, I think. And granted, Joe has done a lot of different level of stuff, but it seems like after Smoking Aces, he just went full throttle with everything. And I kind of want to, I, actually, I haven't seen Cop Shop yet though. I know people think it's amazing. Oh, but... I still
1: need to see that too. Cause it looks like another Smoking Aces. Yeah, but and I, like, I want he him also to... did stuff like The Grey though. And The Grey. Was... That's true. He did do The Grey. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I would like to see, I, I would like to see more stuff Narc-ish where it's where it's m- more of that meeting in the middle of the two where narc really was that opening you know whack whackness you know balled out craziness and then the rest of it was more subdued uh where the gray
1: was just subdued (laughs) yeah with a wolf fight
0: but there wasn't really though, was there what happened but there was technically really wasn't a wolf fight though was there oh
1: true true i mean i've i don't know if i've actually seen the gray i just know hearing about the wolf fight and i think oh no no it cuts right before it cuts right before there actually is folks (laughs) yeah Yeah, it like cuts right before i I think i did hear that and then there's like a hint that he might still be alive in the end but
0: yeah there's a lot there's a lot of stuff yeah i saw that a while i saw that when i saw that in a a early pre-screening i remember yeah anyway (laughs) the
1: 18 18 just It, it, it's funny that we mentioned Ocean's Eleven during the conversation because it definitely has some of that in the DNA of the film. Wait, like it's very much. Did I did I zone out? When did we mention Ocean's Eleven? I think Charlotte might have mentioned Ocean. Or someone mentioned Ocean's Eleven to my to my knowledge. I remember we it, talked about Ocean's Eleven during our Tony Todd episode. I think it came up in this one, and if if not, then I'm gonna put it out there now. I like that you still do have those oceans planning sequences, but then it cuts to like 80s, 90s action movie adventure, just throwing shipping containers off of cliffs and blowing up money. And honestly, just looking at this, if you didn't know the time frame, you might have been able to get away with thinking this was like a VHS from the 90s. (laughs) And I (laughs) love that look about it. Like like maybe James, oh James Cameron's 18 would have been interesting.
0: Well I don't I don't know. I'm afraid of anything, James Cameron, something where it's like a, you know, an all like an old TV show kind of thing or, you know, his Spider-Man treatment that we all got to go. I don't even know what to say, you know, just to like.
1: So I will not count on you for the Avatar 2 press screening in December then.
0: No, no. Well, first of all, first, I didn't say anything about I said James Cameron, anything that he's basing off of an old franchise, it's like a TV show or a long running series avatars his own thing technically that's different true yeah but yeah i mean like because again you know you know he likes to like he seems to like really want to take things in a weird direction when they're like old classics
1: and then when
0: he when i heard anything i hear about him trying to now bring back it's like he takes it to the stratosphere man
1: give me a specific example well have you have you ever seen or read his
0: spider-man treatment
1: Oh, I wasn't sure if we were going with. That. Uh, I've heard, I've, I've heard of it. I haven't read it. I want to read it, but I've heard of it, and I've heard of some of the stuff that's in there.
0: All right, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a link to an old.
1: I don't trust Doctor Octopus. I'm going to
0: send you a link to an old Cracked video, back when Cracked was good and had Daniel O'Brien and Michael Swain and uh, Cody Johnson and uh, Katie Stoll and all these great people on it. Uh, I remember Cracked. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you a Daniel O'Brien uh video on that one that
1: it's just one of the most you don't just have a treatment for me to read it's that's
0: basically basically this is the, the treatment you have to watch this video i'm gonna send you a link
1: all right
0: but with that now everybody please make sure you check out ted k as it's coming out make sure you go cross a team off your overdue
1: rentals list and don't forget to give jessica Beale some credit too because that Who's woman this? is amazing in this movie
0: there's a lot of there's a lot of people in this movie.
1: But serious, like I I I don't know if she ever got enough credit in general for especially for stuff like this and her guest spots on BoJack Horseman, like I still feel like she's severely underused besides the first season of The Sinner on USA where she was also fantastic.
0: Yeah, I haven't watched it yet, but everybody tells me after the first season that it just it just goes off the rails. <laughs>
1: Uh, you see, I got to get there, but I, you know, I'll watch it, whatever, because I love Bill Pullman. I think yep. he's great in that role, and that's someone else I really want on here. He is an amazing person to talk to.
0: Well, I want Bill Pullman to talk about Braindead uh, desperately, so I,
1: can brain dead, uh,
0: I want I want to do that.
1: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, what else can we say about the eighteen? team but I'll throw Matthew back to his scheduled ending already in progress. What oh, with that, Michael? Where can people find us? <laughs> ah, well, if people are going to cross the A team off of their overdue <laughs> rentals list and look for further episodes to listen to, uh, uh they can find us uh, on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, wherever you get your quality podcasts and want to throw your business. Uh, we're not on. I don't think. Does Title do podcasts? I don't know. T- uh, if Title does podcasts, can 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 we join, please? You guys have really good audio quality from what I hear, but. Anyway, skipping that, uh, you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to send us emails, love letters, suggestions of new films that well, other films that we should cover, or anything at all, but minus, you know, threatening content or just general ill will, you can email us at OverdueRentals at gmail.com.
2: Mike. Matthew. Why?